Have you ever had someone make you a promise that they didn't fulfill? It's a really terrible situation and it makes you feel kind of rejected and abandoned and, and worthless, really. You see, when you read scripture, the story of scripture actually is about God making promises to individuals or groups of people, and then it's sort of the narrative of how does he fulfill them? How does he make them happen? And throughout scripture, like God makes promises again and again and again and again to lots of different individuals or groups and, and everything's like that. But, but if you read scripture carefully, you'll find that there are really four major, major promises that God makes to his people. And they're actually so big that we don't even call them promises. We use a fancy word, and this fancy word is covenant. And this word covenant encapsulates more than just a one-sided promise of God saying, hey, I'm going to do something. It actually also includes a human commitment. Like a covenant is God promising one thing, that he'll do this one thing, and, and humans promising that they will be faithful in another thing. That's the covenant. That's the partnership. That's the agreement. It's actually very similar to when two people come to the altar and make a covenant of marriage. One person says, hey, I'm going to promise this, and the other person says, hey, I'm going to commit to this. And if either person breaks their promise or the commitment, sort of the vows kind of are up in the air. You're not really sure what's going to happen next. Ten technically, tends to be pretty destructive if either one of those vows are broken. And, and so God enters these covenant, this covenant with, with human beings. And he says, hey, here's what I'm going to promise, and, and here's what you're going to commit to. And normally he does it with one person, but it's with that one person on behalf of all people. And, and there's four major covenants in the Bible, and we're going to look real quickly at them. But we're going to have a little fun with it. So what I want you to do is if you have a spare device or a window or browser or something you can open, you're going to go to menti.com, M-E-N-T-I.com, and you're going to enter the code 9670621. 967061. Now, I love using Menti because it just creates a little bit of participation that it makes me feel like I'm not just talking into a blank camera, but I'm actually getting some sort of feedback somehow. So I really want to encourage you, if you can, if you're able to, go to menti.com, enter the code 967062.1. And there's some questions there. The first question that I want you to answer is actually, it's kind of like a trivia game. Ready? So uh, God makes the first covenant with, and you don't have to get this right. You can just make a guess. God makes the first covenant with, who is it, right? And I'm going to give you some hints. It's a man, and he's got a wife, and he's got three sons, and those three sons have three wives. And God tells this guy that he's supposed to build a really big thing, and that eventually, okay, not Adam, keep going, eventually all him and his family are going to get inside of this really big thing. It's not Moses. He's going to get inside of this really big thing because it's going to rain for long, long time. And so God's going to save the humanity because they built this really big thing and they went inside of it. 
So far, most people are answering Abraham. I'm looking for Noah. Noah. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Uh, the, the, uh, people, uh, God's first major covenant was actually made with Noah. Now, this covenant is a little bit strange and a little bit weird because it's the only major covenant that God makes where there's not a human commitment. God just makes a promise and he basically says, hey, listen, I know that you humans, you're going to be evil. <laughs> like, you're going to be evil no matter what. And I destroyed the world to try to start again, but I know you're not going to be able to live up to any sort of commitment to be good. So even though you're evil, I am going to promise that I'm never going to destroy the earth in this way again. And he actually puts a rainbow in the sky to symbolize this promise. He's never going to destroy the earth again. Now, this is a really important promise, and it's probably one that we can cling to right now in 2020, because with like double hurricanes and crazy tsunamis and like all the murder hornets and all the things that are happening, we really need to trust in that promise that God is not going to destroy the earth again, regardless of all of the things that are happening. Instead, the point of this promise, the point of this covenant was God was saying, hey, listen, I believe that earth is actually the place where he's going going to deal with humans, that we're going to partner together, and that he's going to bring his kingdom and, and play out his mission, that this is a good place to make that happen. Now, second question. You can go on to this one. Second question. The second covenant that God makes, major covenant, the second one, somebody put Noah, that was the first one. Let's look for the second one. So this is a guy who, um, after the flood ends, people gather together and they're like, let's great, create a great city. They build a huge tower and God says, no, I don't want you to do that. He scatters the people throughout the land. And then he picks the father of one family. And that is the person that he's going to make a covenant with. Man, can I get Abraham? Yes, Abraham. The second covenant that God makes is with a man named Abraham. And what God promises is he says, listen, you are going to be my chosen people. You're going to be the father of my chosen people. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a huge family, even though you don't have any kids. I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to give you land and it's going to be a good, good land. And you're going to take those blessings and you're going to bless the whole world. Now, what Abraham had to do, his human commitment was that he and his family had to trust God. It's really hard. <laughs> they had to trust God. And then Abraham had to teach his family how to live a just and righteous life. Like, that was the human commitment. That was it. And the whole purpose of this, what God was trying to get at, is he was trying to find a family that he could bless that would then bless every other nation. Okay, so then there's a third major commitment. We've done Noah. We've done Abraham. Who is the third major commitment? The third major covenant. Isaac. Uh, Moses, okay, we're getting closer. This is a person that uh, is responsible for setting the Israelites free from their oppressors in Egypt. The answer is Moses, Moses. <laughs> so the answer is Moses. The third major covenant that God makes is with Moses. He actually, after setting the people free, um, God promises that he will rescue them, that he has rescued them, and he'll continue to rescue them. And then he promises the people of Israel through Moses that he's going to dwell among them, that he's going to dwell with them, that his presence will rest 
on them and that he's going to bring them to a promised land, the land that was promised to Abraham. He's actually going to fulfill it and bring the people into that promised land. Now the humans, the humans have a commitment and their commitment is to be obedient, to be obedient to the law that was given to Moses by God that includes the Ten Commandments, that humans are going to be obedient and then God is going to dwell among them and God is going to give them the promised land and God will continue to rescue them. Now here's the fourth major commitment. Some of you in that last one have already said the person that the fourth major commitment is to. He's a king, he's a really good king, he's the second king of Israel He was um, known to be a shepherd. He slayed a big giant. He, um, let's see, what else did he do? He also played the harp. He um, also didn't do great things. He slept with a woman because he saw her taking a bath. But that's a whole nother story. David, yes. David is the one that God makes this fourth covenant with. What God promises to David is that he's going to have David's name be great because out of David's lineage, there's going to be a king that comes that will rule forever. And that when this king comes, he's going to bring a kingdom that is filled with peace and justice. It's going to be a kingdom like no other. There's there's no inequity, inequity, there's no injustice. It's just peace and righteousness and justice. And that when this king comes that's from the line of David, he will rule forever. Now, the human commitment is that they have to be faithful to God. That, that the kings that, that lead Israel have to actually point them to God. They have to continue to have Israel worship God. They have to lead them in obedience. And the whole point of this is that God wanted his kingdom to be set up here on earth. That the kingdom of God, which is filled with justice and peace, he wanted the entire nations to experience that. Now, here's the deal. Human beings tend to have a really hard time fulfilling their commitments. And that was true in these really big covenants also. In every single one of them, while God was keeping his promise, the humans were not keeping their covenant. In fact, in the one that God makes with Moses, like as, God, as Moses is up on the mountain with God, getting the details of how they're supposed to live this stuff out, like the people down on the, on the base of the mountain were already being disobedient. They had already like started worshiping another God. They had already like broken the marriage vows before even the ceremony was over. They failed, and and again and again and again they failed. And guys, when you make a promise with somebody and they have failed to keep their commitment four times in a row, stuff's not looking so good. Things start to look pretty hopeless. It, It doesn't look like much can be done about this situation. And so if humanity can't keep their commitment, then God, what what does he do with his promise? What is he supposed to do with that? Now, if you keep reading the story of the Bible, we get to the prophets. It's right in the middle. The prophets start saying, hey, guys, wait, even though we as humanity, we failed and we haven't kept the commitment, here's what's going to happen. God, God's going to bring about a time and he's going ha- to revive these commitments. He's going uh, to restore this covenant and, and a new covenant is going to come and it's going to be fulfilled by this guy. His name is Messiah. So all the people kept waiting for this Messiah to come. When, when would the Messiah come? and restore the covenant with God so that God would fulfill his promises so that because humans would have finally fulfilled their 
commitment. And so they waited, and they, and they waited, and they waited. And then as we continue to read through Scripture, what happens is Jesus is introduced, right? Jesus, the son of Nazareth, the son of God. In the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're, they're specifically written to start to introduce Jesus in these very specific ways. We're introduced to him as a descendant of Abraham's family who trusts and lives and teaches righteousness and justice. And, and then we're, we're, we're given information about him that he is the faithful Israelite, that he fulfills and is obedient faithfully to all of the laws that had been laid down in the covenant. And then, and then we're told that he is the king in the line of David, that, that he begins to establish this kingdom here on earth that's filled with peace and justice, that, that he not only proclaims that he's the king, but he demonstrates that he's the king. And so as we read this, we begin to think, is this the human? Is this the Messiah? Is this the one who fulfills all of the human commitments that we never could get right? But the thing about Jesus is that he's not just the human. He's the God-made flesh. He's, he's the God-man. It's, it's like God was looking back at these four major covenants that he made, and he realized, you know what? They are never going to be able to do this. Like, like, never going to be able to do this. So the only way that I can make this covenant happen is if I, God, take on flesh, dwell as a human, and fulfill this commitment for them. And then I can give the promises to all the people. Like, that's how badly God wanted to fulfill his promise. That he became human and took on flesh so that he could be the one who fulfills all of the human commitment so he could fulfill his promise. So he could be faithful to his promise to us. And so he fulfills the human commitment and we all get to benefit. In Galatians chapter 3, it talks about it this way. It says, so in Christ Jesus, you who were all children of God through faith, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. That because Jesus fulfilled the human commitment, we all get to be heirs of the promise. Now, here, I had this thing happen this past week that really solidified this in my brain of how this whole thing works. So I want to tell you this story. Um, I had to take my girls, both of my girls, to their wellness visits. And I was pretty sure that, um, I was pretty sure they were going to need shots. And my kids hate shots. I mean, all kids hate shots. So in the car, this is what I tell them. I said, listen, if you have to get a shot, then we go to, for lunch. And I thought that this would be great because then if they have to get a shot, they know they have the promise of lunch. But if they don't have to get a shot, then, then, then that's good too, right? So either way, we win at the doctor's office. Now, we're driving there, and in the back seat, all of a sudden, my youngest starts asking these questions. She goes, well, what if I don't have to get a shot, but Sissy has to get a shot? And I said, then Sissy will get a shot. And she goes, no, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. Like, if sister has to get a shot, but I don't have to get a shot, do I still get lunch? 
And I thought, that's well played. Uh, yes, yes. Even if, if anyone in this car has to get a shot, then everyone in the car gets lunch. And so my littlest goes like this. I really hope sister gets a shot, but I don't have to get one. She knew how this game worked. And then she followed it up and she said, sister, I don't really want you to get a shot, but like I don't want a shot. And I figured if you got a shot, then I could still get lunch. And I said, honey, that's what we call taking one for the team. And I realized as I was looking into these covenants that this is exactly what Jesus did. He was the one who got the shot so we could all have lunch. He's the one who fulfills all the human commitments so that we can all get the promises of God. It's because of Jesus and through Jesus that we all get to be blessed, that we all get to be the blessing to the nations. It's because of Jesus that we get to dwell in the presence of God. It's because of Jesus that we get to represent God's character to the nations. It's because of Jesus fulfilling the human commitment that we get the promise to be a part of a kingdom that is filled with justice and peace. It's because Jesus fulfilled his human commitment that we get to partner with God in this new covenant. It's all because of what Jesus did that we become heirs of this promise, of all of the promises. And the thing is, is that this promise, it's, it's not done. It doesn't dim out. It doesn't get tarnished with time. So even though it was made over 2,000 years ago, it is still as bright and shiny and as beautiful right now today as it was back then. And so you and me, we get all the promises. You and me, we are blessed. We are highly favored. We are promised that God will work all things out for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. You and me, we get to dwell in the presence of God. So when we feel tired or anxious, we can sit in the presence of God and allow his truth and his spirit to wash over us. We're told in Ephesians that the power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that dwells in us. You and me, that's the promise that we have. You and me, we have this promise that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That we are not bound by the rules of this world, but we're bound by the rules of heaven, which is justice and peace and righteousness. That's the kingdom that we live in. Regardless of what is happening here, we are a part of a different kingdom. That is our promise and that he is king and he will rule in our lives and in our hearts and one day in this whole world. And those promises that are given to you and me, they are trustworthy and they are true. Now, another thing happened. I, I think it was even on the way home from the doctor. I was talking to my girls about this idea of promise, trying to, you know, throw some ideas and concepts that I had been thinking over through the course of the week at them. And, and one of my older daughter this time, she goes, well, you know, the thing about God's promises, like... The thing about God's promises is that sometimes he takes like 500 years to make them happen. Like, what good is that? Like, that's no good. I'm going to be dead in 500 years. I'm going to be dead before he ever finishes this whole promise thing that he said he's going to do. That doesn't count. And I turned to her and I was like, yeah, that's really true. I mean, I mean it takes a long time to fulfill these promises. And I thought about it and I said, well, you know what's really cool about God? Is that God's promises aren't bound by death. That if God doesn't fulfill a promise in our lifetime, he fills it, he fulfills it in the next lifetime. 
If he doesn't fulfill it before we die, he fulfills it on the other side of death. See, see, this is the thing that's so crazy about God's promises. God's promises aren't limited by, by human failure, but they're also not limited by death. And we know this and we believe this because we believe in a resurrected Lord. We believe in a Lord that though he was crucified, he came back to life. We believe that his promises are yes and amen, even beyond death. And so it doesn't matter 500 years, he is faithful and he is true and his promises will happen. Now, I know that that's hard to to trust. I know that that's hard to wrap your arms around or your mind around or hold on to. It feels like sand sinking through your hands because 500 years, like when? When, when, it's hard to hold on to when you don't have it in hand. And so one more story I want to tell you about. In our most recent family trip to the beach, uh, my daughters and I spent a lot of time looking for shells. It's, my kids are scavengers. They find trinkets and toys everywhere. Their pockets are always full, and I'm always carrying 15 things in my hand that they found. So we went looking for shells, and and we had been told that this particular beach that we were at had the promise of really big shells, like the holy grail of shells, the large twisty ones, like the nautical shells or the whelks and the mollusks. Like we were told this was the beach to go. And so we spent the entire time we were at the beach walking the shoreline. We even woke up at dawn thinking if we just got here before all the other people got here, we would for sure find the big shells. And so we did, we went hunting, we woke up early, we walked miles looking for the big shells. Now after five days, you know what we didn't find? (laughs) A big shell. We didn't, we didn't find one, but this is what we did find. We found these. And this. And I don't know if you can see it, but we found this. And we found this. It's got the twisty part inside and and the ridges on the outside. We found this one, which has those horns on the top of the shells that are really pretty. We found all of these different shells that gave us this indicator that, that these shells did exist. We'd pick these up and we'd look at each other and we'd go, evidence. Evidence, evidence that these shells are somewhere here on the shoreline. Evidence that that these shells exist and we could maybe one day find them if we kept looking. If we just came at the right time, we found this evidence. And so what I'm reminded of, what this gave me hope of, what this, what this, like I was walking on the beach and as I, we were looking for this evidence, I began to cry because I realized that this is like the promises of God. We don't have the whole shell yet. We don't have the whole promise yet. It's not all here yet. But what we do have is evidence. What we do have is this evidence that God is working in our world and in our lives to bring these promises about. And so my prayer for you is that you would be wrapped in these promises, that you would hold fast to these promises. And as you are, I pray that your eyes would be open to find evidence of these promises everywhere. That in that moment where you are given like a small blessing, that it would be evidence that one day the fullness of God's blessing will come. 
That, that as you begin to see, dwell, have these moments where you dwell in the presence of God, where you feel, feel him in all of his fullness just for a moment, that that would be evidence that one day you will feel him continuously in all of his fullness, in all of his glory. Because that's the promise. That though we live in a world that is broken and unjust and filled with, with inequity, that, that you in a moment when you see righteousness and justice and peace, when you see it, when you witness it, when you experience it, that you would claim it as evidence that one day his kingdom will come in all of its fullness, in all of its fullness, and that we would experience the greatness of his peace and justice and fullness of his kingdom. And these are the promises that we can hang on to. What we're going to do is we're going to pray and then we're going to have the band come up and it's going to be our opportunity to sing this song one more time all together. And as we do, I pray that, that you would be able to just hold on to the promises of God to trust them, that although we don't have them in their fullness, that we do have evidence that he is faithful in all things. Let's pray. Father God, Father God, I am so thankful that you are a God who is faithful to your promise, even when we mess up. Even when we don't do it right, even when we fail, you find a way. Like that's how much you love us and that's how much you want your promises to come. Is you find this loophole and say, oh, well, what if I become flesh? What if I become human and fulfill all the commitment? And Father, I praise you for that. I thank you for that and I thank you that we get to be the beneficiaries of your sacrifice, of your commitment that we get to have all the blessing. I thank you for that. But Father, during the season when it feels like the storm is raging, when it feels like we are in darkness and drought, Father, I ask that you would reveal to us evidence of your faithfulness, that we might be able to trust you. We pray all of these things in your holy and precious name. Amen.